and welcome to another Dairy Dialogue podcast and this one is number 66 and that's a number that makes me think of the Beatles' revolver and the year England won the World Cup. There was another World Cup taking place this week at the Sujep event in Rimini, Italy and it was a World Cup of gelato. It's a little bit different to soccer, there's no sliding into the corner after making a nice ice cream or falling over to get another gelato maker a red card, but there were fans cheering on their teams. A little more on Sijep later. I'm Jim Cornall, editor of Dairy Reporter, and on the show today we have just the one interview, and it's with Katie Kittery from UK online food retailer Yumbles on Veganuary. And we have our weekly look at the global dairy markets with Charlie Highland from INTL FC Stone in Dublin. One interview, I hear you ask, or maybe I don't, maybe it's just the voices in my head, which get fainter as I get older. Well, the reason is I took all of these videos in Italy and San Marino, and they're still on my phone. Every time I come back, it's usually a struggle to get them from my phone to my work computer. Generally takes about a day, and this time it's just not working at all. So I've even had to enlist the help of our IT department, and all being well, we will have some interviews from SIGEP next week. But that won't stop me from talking about it this week. It was definitely exhausting. Sijep is about coffee, chocolate, bakery, pastries, restaurants, and of course gelato. It's open to the public as well, so it's very, very busy. And it's also very noisy, as most of the companies were doing demos with microphones, and some companies were even playing loud music. There's one chocolate maker that I won't mention, whose music was so loud that the floor was shaking. So... Very tough to do interviews, but an interesting show nonetheless. Rimini itself is a place for the summer, I think. It felt like the winter, and any visitors that happen to come along in the winter are just a big inconvenience as they wait for tourists to come swarming in in the summer. So there were lots of places closed, lots of restaurants closed, or with very odd winter hours. It was chilly, although probably not as chilly as in Scotland, and there was definitely more sunshine, so that was a bonus. The first day that I was there at the event was the exact 100th anniversary to the day of the birth of the famous director Federico Fellini, who was from Rimini. His life is being celebrated in the city all year, as you would, to bring in even more tourists. He also has a connection to journalism, as a character in his movie La Dolce Vita was called Paparazzo, and he was a photographer, which is where the term paparazzi comes from. I have to say I've done photographs for hundreds of magazines over the years, but definitely wouldn't consider myself paparazzi, and I'm quite glad about that too. I was only asked for directions three times on this trip and managed to get them all where they wanted to go, and one was even related to Fellini. Thanks very much to the GPS or sat-nav on my phone. Problem is, if you answer somebody in Italian, they think that you can speak it fluently, so that can tend to be an issue. I did have to communicate a few times in French instead, and one incident at Sijep itself was quite amusing, as I asked a lady at one of the stands in Italian if she spoke English, and she just looked at me. So I tried asking her a question in Italian, and she still looked at me blankly. Obviously, my Italian, limited though it is, is even worse than I thought. But no, it turns out she didn't speak Italian either, so that's why she didn't answer me. She was German, and so we chatted in German instead. Highlight of the trip for me had to be a visit to San Marino, the tiny 66 square kilometer country that is surrounded by Italy. Some of it's on top of a mountain with three castles which are on its coat of arms and its flag, and it's just gorgeous. 
and very touristy even in the winter, in spite of a lot of places being closed there as well. But it truly is a bucket list place if ever you get the chance to go. I'd written to the tourist board there asking if I could get in touch with somebody about doing a story on the San Marino dairy industry. After all, it's a small country, it's not in the EU, so it seemed pretty interesting. The day before, I got a message saying they were trying to find someone for me to talk to and could I do an interview in Italian? Well, maybe, but it would be about football and food and buying train and bus tickets. So, probably not. I figured I wanted to see the country anyway and add it to my list of countries visited, so I set off early, very early in the morning. Spent the morning wandering around taking photographs, looking at all the touristy places and having a walk around, and then got a text about 10.30. Could I be at a farm at 4.30? And an address. And that was it. Okay, six hours to kill, so instead of hanging around after eating and taking in several cappuccinos, or should that be cappuccini, I decided to walk. Some of the roads I would not recommend walking on, and I kept taking detours to stay off the main road that zigzags up the mountain, or in this case down. I'm really glad that I did though, because it felt like I saw way more of the place than I would have if I'd taken the bus or got a taxi and either of which would have got me too early anyway. I arrived a few minutes to spare, got to the farm, only to find not only was the farm owner there, but also the president of the San Marino Dairy Cooperative, and a translator. So it was a great time, although the sun had already gone down and it was pretty cold, but I got some good interviews and footage, of course they're still on my phone, and then they even drove me back to Rimini, which was unexpected and greatly appreciated. My flights were rearranged on the way home, unfortunately, which meant leaving quite a bit earlier, but I still had my usual struggle to get my bag full of recording equipment on the plane, because it's a very full flight. Well, if I paid for two bags, I should have two bags. I really like the way that they try and make it sound like having one bag checked in for free is like winning the lottery, but it's wearing a bit thin now. Maybe give me $200 and I might think about it, as if they're ever going to do that. Oh, and before I forget, there is one more amusing story, or at least I hope it's amusing. At the airport in Bologna, on the way back, there were some men from the UK who had obviously also been staying in Rimini, although not related to Sijep. I missed the beginning of the conversation, sadly, but one of them said, oh, that show that he was talking about is about gelato. And the other person that he was with said, well, that's just a posh Italian word for ice cream, isn't it? And the other guy said, well, no, I thought that. But the guy who was at the show said it's only gelato if it's made from buffalo milk. And that's what makes it different to ice cream. I wanted to laugh and I also wanted to intervene, but I thought better of it. Anyway, enough of my travels. Let's get to this week's news or the dairy news, that is. We've had stories on the effects of drinking 2% milk on ageing, Turtle Tree Labs in Singapore working on creating milk from cells, and look out for an interview on that on the podcast coming up soon, a UPenn study in the US on dairy cows and climate change, Summerdale International on its record-breaking US sales of UK cheeses, Vanilla is the top flavour for UK ice creams. There are concerns in India about the cost of skim milk powder for ice cream, and you will hear more about that when we talk to Charlie Harland a bit later from INTL FC Stone. DMK is expanding its ice cream presence, and of course, there's a lot more, all of which you can read by heading over to dairyreporter.com. So, let's get started. And our interview this week is with Katie Kittery from UK online food retailers Yumbles. 
There was a press release that went out about Veganuary and the company's sales of vegan cheese alternatives. The company also sells dairy cheeses as well, so it seemed like a perfect opportunity to discuss how a retailer sees the difference and how vegan products have changed in their place in the market. So those are just some of the things we talked about. So Yumbles.com, um, we're a highly curated marketplace. So we feature really incredible independent and also artisan um, made food drink and also foodie gifts. We feature around 600 hand-picked independent or artisan food producers, and they actually sell directly to you on the site. So you can order straight from, you know, very much the best kind of chocolatiers, bakers, gin distillers, and cheesemakers, and so on, all from the one place online. Okay, and how long has the company been around? So we launched Jumbles back in 2013, so some seven years ago now. Oh, okay. And so the business model then is that you would take a commission from those sales? Yeah, exactly. So, you know, you can think of us, a lot of people are more familiar with eBay or maybe even Etsy and businesses like that. These are all online marketplaces. So operationally, Yumbles works in much the same way. We're connecting the actual food producers directly with their consumers. So you're ordering from the food producers. They put together the food, package it up, send it to you directly. And then certainly commercially, we're taking a commission on, on those sales. Right. And the benefit for them, I assume, is the fact that rather than being on their own, it's more like a big supermarket and they're exposed to a lot more people than they would otherwise be. Yeah, exactly that. So we're, 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 we're giving them great reach in terms of a you know, nationwide audience. So what we always say is, you know, we focus on the sort of the marketing and sales challenge for them and allow them to focus on what they're best at, which is the food production. So, yeah, it's a, it's a great route to market, you know, for all kinds of food and drink producers. Well, that's right. A lot of people go into making a particular product, but they aren't necessarily that good or that knowledgeable about how to sell it. Right, exactly. It's a completely different skill set. And particularly with today's world, you know, with online, um, it's a whole different genre. You know, we, we are the specialists in, in online technology and online marketing. So that's our skill set. You know, I can't make cheese, especially, you know, small businesses that they're, they're having to be trying to be the masters of all kinds of skills. And often that's just not viable. So, you know, we really love working with small independent food producers and, and really solving some of those needs for them. So do producers come to you or do you look around and say, oh, that would be a perfect product for our site? Sure. Yeah. So actually both. Um, we do take applications. So we get some 100 odd, um, actually possibly a bit more now applications a month that we go through carefully. We also then have always proactively gone out looking for producers, particularly where we feel we have categories that either is doing well and we feel we need more supply in or completely new categories that we want to launch. So it, it is both, both kind of inbound applications and outbound. And is it all, it's just UK based at the moment? Yes, exactly. We continue to be very much focused on the UK market, working with you know UK-based producers and UK-focused marketing. Longer term, for sure, you know we obviously have our eyes outside of the UK, but for now we've got great growth and momentum in the UK, and we're looking to kind of continue that. Obviously, for this we're talking about Veganuary. You don't sell exclusively plant-based products. What have you seen in terms of the growth of those plant-based products since you started? So you're right, on Yumbles, we do feature a real broad spectrum of food and drink categories, not specifically dairy-free, but we do cater really well to a range of diets. Really, actually, core to our resource is more about the fact that, you know, we want to enable people who really care about what they eat and want to enjoy incredible foods, that they can find them and enjoy them no matter what their diet is. So, yeah, our, our curation does include both fantastic dairy products, you know, fantastic cheeses and such, as well as the dairy-free. 
in terms of what we've seen change, I think to, to your question about that, you know, when we started Young Bulls back in 2013, we had dairy-free alternatives, but by no means was that major categories for us. So that is certainly something that we have seen grow consistently year by year. And actually, in fact, just the last two years, you know, we've seen our dairy-free categories or dairy-free alternative categories more than double in just two years. So that really has, you know, gained really strong growth, particularly the last two years. That said, over the same period, we actually haven't seen, that doesn't necessarily mean that we've seen demand for dairy products. So our, our cheese category, for example, we've seen the demand for that continue to, to be strong and sustainable. And I think that's partly speaking to the kind of the quality of the products that we've got on Yumbles. You know, people who, who are looking for really great quality cheeses, that demand has sustained alongside seeing these dairy-free alternatives really grow rapidly. Are you seeing more dairy alternative cheeses being produced? And are you seeing an improvement in the quality of them? Because obviously 20 years ago, they really weren't that great. No, right. What we've seen, and, and as I said, it has really accelerated in the last 12 to 24 months. But what we've seen is clear demand growing. And I think in business, wherever consumer needs change um, and, and demand changes, and particularly at the speed that we're seeing, good businesses, you know, producers are responding to that. I think small producers, small, you know, independent producers are really well known for responding quickly to changes in consumer demand. You know, they've, they've got the beauty of the flexibility to do that. And so certainly we've seen this demand has changed and accelerated. Producers on Yumbles really responded well to that and brought out alongside their dairy range, you know, dairy-free alternatives and seen great success with that. Veganuary has been around a while, but only recently has it seemed to take off. Have you seen an increase in sales over that period? Yeah, absolutely. So, yeah, so Veganuary obviously very much started as a very timely campaign at the start of the year to encourage people to try a vegan lifestyle. I think the demand changes that we're seeing, I think it's probably important to highlight. Um, it, it's not necessarily being driven just by people wanting to follow a vegan lifestyle. I think what, what's overarching is more of an interest in plant-based alternatives in general. Um, and that's not just from people wanting to follow a vegan lifestyle. It's also, I mean, obviously there's, you know, the, the allergen out there, people having lactose intolerance and such, but also much more that's coming through now is people actively, you know, and using the terminology of plant-based alternatives because of perceived environmental factors. That's obviously, you know, really hot news these days. So Veganuary, you know, was started way back when, all about the vegan lifestyle. I think this year in particular, what we've really seen is it is much bigger than just a vegan lifestyle. I think, as I said, you know, about this whole kind of shift towards more plant-based thinking. So maybe Veganuary is not even the right name for it anymore, but it's still, you know, a, a nice shorthand for it. Of a great timely campaign at the start of the year to promote these, you know, plant-based alternatives. We kind of touched on it before, and I mentioned the plant-based cheese alternatives weren't really that impressive when it came to yeah. taste or texture. Are you seeing really good quality dairy alternatives now? Yeah, absolutely. So th this is where on Yumbles we've certainly witnessed some great innovation. I did, you know, I mentioned there that we're, we're highly curated and so key to what we look for, you know, we're, we're not just looking for any old dairy-free cheese. Um, we do make sure that the, you know, the taste, the texture and all the other factors are there as well. And, and I think, again, that's to do with, you know, again, looking at today's consumer, they can't be fobbed off with poor alternatives and certainly on Yumbles that's we're really looking to root out the best of the best so um, I think because the demand is strengthened because more producers are responding to it it has pushed 
the quality mark higher. So, you know, we're really proud of some, you know, really fantastic products that we found and feature on Yumbles. And certainly when we curate, we're not looking for, oh, that's nice for a dairy-free cheese. We're looking for, that's just lovely. You know, oh, by the way, it's it's plant-based. So, um, so for sure, I mean, obviously there's always more room and I'm sure we're going to keep seeing the bar on kind of taste and texture improve. But I think what we see today already, and certainly the products on Yumbles, I think a lot of people will be surprised who've never tried, you know, vegan cheeses before, will be really surprised by what can be achieved. Now. And I think as well, economically, a lot of the artisanal vegan alternatives, if you're going to try them out and they're not very good and you're spending eight pounds on them, it's kind of a waste of yeah. money. So they, they have to, for your, you to be able to continue to sell them, they have to be a good quality. Exactly. Yeah, absolutely. I think, you know, regardless of price now, I almost think the average consumer now is much more discerning anyway. Um, But certainly, you know, when some of these plant-based alternatives, because of the nature of the ingredients, are more than your kind of dairy versions, there is that that extra bar placed for sure. And, And we would only hope to see the economics improve. You know, I think when it comes to vegan cheeses, obviously the the core ingredient there is typically nuts. Um, obviously nuts pound for pound are a lot more expensive than, than milk but you know obviously over time those economics are you know should improve in theory you know as the supply chain adapts. And are you seeing that cheese dairy cheese producers are starting to get into making dairy alternatives or do they tend to still be very separate? We've definitely seen a big shift in, in our producers moving to offering, you know, adding to their range of plant-based alternatives. We've seen that particularly for, you know, producers like chocolatiers and bakers that have, you know, dairy-free alternatives alongside their core range. For cheesemakers, we've not on Yumble seen, um, you know, we work with some fantastic British cheesemakers. We haven't yet seen much sign of them adding dairy-free alternatives to their range. And I think, obviously, dairy is absolutely fundamental to what you know cheesemakers do so it's, it's obviously a bigger shift for them um i think it remains to be seen whether they can and should you know also add dairy-free alternatives to their range or just keep the focus on what they do best and focus on you know the audience that wants it so fundamentally obviously it's a commercial decision that will almost certainly vary by business some businesses will see that it, it, it works for them and, and others may choose to double down on, on what they already do But certainly what we can speak to is where we have seen, you know, the chocolatiers and bakers adding dairy-free alternatives alongside their dairy lines. They have, you know, almost typically seen good success with those. So I I think it could be an exciting opportunity. As I said, I I, I believe we will hopefully see some cheesemakers try it and, and, you know, see it as a great opportunity to add to what they already do. Yeah, I think it's a bit more more difficult as well. I know that with with dairy-free ice cream, it's a bit easier to sort of play with the recipe and use exactly the same kind of equipment. But when it comes to a a dairy-free cheese or a cheese alternative. Fundamentally different. Yeah, exactly. And and I think that it's, do companies necessarily want to spend a lot of time developing it and developing the ingredients and maybe even having to change some of their equipment? I think it's exactly a completely different production process. Yeah, Yeah. exactly. So I I think, you know, so it comes down to being a commercial decision. Um, You know, like I say, for chocolatiers and bakers, it's much easier for them to shift. And like you you said, said they're ice cream makers. For cheese makers, it is a bigger shift. Does it make sense to try and do it or just double down on what they're already great at? I think the the demand for plant-based food is not going away we, we're not we're not expecting on yumbles from what we've seen this is not a short-term trend fad type situation 
there'll continue to be demand for dairy products. So I think it's just a question for each cheese maker to figure out what commercially makes sense for them. It's an opportunity, but it might not be the right opportunity for them to go after. When it comes to sales, obviously Veganuary is a big promotion of plant-based products. Do you see that that starts to dip again after January or how do you see the sales throughout the year? We definitely find that January is a particularly strong month for dairy-free alternatives. But having said that, because generally, and I kind of alluded to it earlier, because Veganuary is really just a campaign, but there's a much bigger kind of consumer shift in general towards more plant-based, and, I, and that momentum does seem to be growing. So I think we've kind of seen, if you compare kind of October, you know, October, November, December to January, we do typically see kind of an uptick in the January, but that doesn't then seem to dim for the rest of the year because the overall demand is climbing, if that makes sense. So I think Veganuary, is, you know, it's an interesting, you know campaign that obviously many grocers are kind of jumping on and doing product launches because it's a good time of year to do it but from a demand point of view we're not expecting to see kind of it be a kind of a temporary temporary spike and then go back down because as I say we pretty much month on month are seeing growth on Yumbles in terms of the demand for dairy-free products. I suppose also with something like this it's an opportunity for people to try them and then if they like them to continue buying them. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, that, and that's why it was started. You know, people make changes at the start of the year. And so Veganuary is a very timely campaign. And I think, you know, particularly, as I mentioned, with the, the quality of products now in terms of plant-based alternatives, dairy-free alternatives, I think once people do try them, for whatever reason that they want to try them, they are typically now finding actually it's not that hard. It's not such a restriction anymore. So, so maybe it's something that they take forward beyond January. When you hear people talk about the potential of becoming vegan or changing to a plant-based diet, I think cheese is generally the one thing that yeah. people... They find hard to, yeah. yeah. And as well as that, it's also an important ingredient in so many other products. Absolutely. You know, a fully, a fully fledged, you know, vegan, full plant-based diet, um, you know, can be seen as quite challenging and restrictive. And as I say, there are great alternatives out there now, and I think it's a lot easier now than it than it ever was before. But certainly, we we always hear that, you know, when people are switching diet, that giving up the cheese seems to be one of the biggest sticking points. And I guess one of those big challenges is for people to be able to find things that they do like and that does fit in with what they're trying to do. Yeah, absolutely. And that and that's kind of why we you know we we're really keen on Yumbles that that we're really helping people who are following all kinds of diets, including plant-based, finding these great products and getting them shipped to their door. So, you know, we work with some six or seven dedicated plant-based cheesemakers, and they really are amongst the best of the best that we've, we've ever tried. And they're all available, you know, to ship to your door now. So that's kind of where we come in, helping solve, you know, these kind of problems for people. And now it's time for our weekly look at the global dairy markets with Charlie Highland from INCL FC Stone. Hi Jim. Um, so just a quick recap on the dairy markets this week. There has been, uh, again, continues to be reasonably stable markets uh, in Europe at least. Nothing too major in terms of uh, price moves. Um, a lot of the talk this week was around uh, some potential additional imports into India. Uh, the conversation has been happening over the last couple of weeks, but there's been uh, seems to be a lot of local industrial uh, end users who've been lobbying the government to reduce some of the import duties um, on potentially up to about 50,000 tonnes of, of skim. Um, now there's been pushback from from the industry on this uh, from the from the producing industry, particularly Amul, 
um, who, who don't want this, but uh, you know, it, it's definitely a risk factor at the moment. And, and if this does materialize, um, this could have a reasonably significant impact on, on prices for skim milk powder. Um, we, we calculate possibly somewhere between 5 and 8% uh, increase about or about $250 equivalent to a ton of skim uh, on the world market. So, so it certainly could be a, a major risk factor, but uh, but time will tell whether it actually materialises or not. And um, besides that, there hasn't been too much. There's been some uh, milk production out from uh, New Zealand, which was in line with forecast up about 0.2%, 0.2%, 0.2%, and in the US uh, also in line with forecast up about 0.7%. So um, nothing too surprising on the production side. Everything's still looking reasonably okay in Europe and uh, just waiting for a, a major sign of direction from the markets because at the moment everything is quite stable. Thanks, Charlie. We'll talk to either you or Liam again next week. INTL FC Stone provides risk management and margin hedging programs and services as well as OTC hedging tool and M&A advisory services to the global dairy industry. And that's it. Maybe, or hopefully, some interviews from CJEP next week and the Winter Fancy Food Show in San Francisco, which was taking place around the same time. Our reporter Beth Newhart was there, and she asked me if I wanted an interview for this week's podcast, and I said, no, it's okay, I've got some interviews from CJEP. Stupid me. Anyway, definitely a full show next time. Definitely maybe, that is. So until next time, have a great week, and thanks as always for listening.